when I looked into Tribe Sober, I was what I saw was a group of well-functioning women, mostly some guys, but it was at that stage mostly women who were coping with life, who were successful, who, who maintained good relationships overall, but we all had this one thing in common. And I identified with that because I, I could never see myself as a victim of alcohol and being powerless. Welcome to the tribe. This is your weekly podcast from Tribe Sober. Whether you're already sober, striving to be sober, or just plain sober curious, you need a tribe. You need a tribe because it's so hard to do this alone. You need a tribe because you need support. And that's where we come in. Here at Tribe Sober, we've got your back. Here at Tribe Sober, we have people at all stages of the journey, all helping each other to stay on track. On this podcast, we've got recovery stories to inspire you, experts to inform you, and plenty of advice on how to ditch the drink and change your life. So here's your host, tribe leader, Janet Gorond. Hello, hello, and welcome to the Tribe Sober Podcast, episode 117. My name is Janet Goron. I'm the founder of Tribe Sober, and I'm your host for this podcast. Now, here at Tribe Sober, we help people to change their relationship with alcohol and then to go on and actually thrive in their alcohol-free lives. And over the last six years, we've helped hundreds of people to do just that. Many of those people we helped started their Tribe Sober journey with an alcohol-free challenge. That's a great way to check your dependence on alcohol. If you can get through a challenge easily, then you're fine. Well done. But if it's a real struggle, or if you can't even contemplate the thought of it, then you may need to make some changes. Our Dry July Challenge started yesterday, but we're keeping the doors open until midnight on the 2nd of July. That's when this podcast comes out. So if you want to join our other challengers who are already settling in and getting excited about the journey ahead, then just hit tribesober.com Dry July. Alternatively, Dry July is absolutely free for Tribe members, so this is a perfect time to go to tribesober.com and hit join our tribe. My guest this week is Annika Russell. She's a Tribe Sober member who knows all about the work hard, play hard culture. She worked overseas in Afghanistan and Somalia and often found herself sharing bottles of scotch with her male colleagues. The combination of retirement from her exciting career and the isolation of the pandemic saw her continuing with her scotch, but adding a couple of bottles of wine into the daily mix. I began by asking Annika to introduce herself. Okay, thanks, uh, Janet, and thanks for having me on. Um, I live in Southern Cape, uh, nice now wilderness area. I, I move between farm life and village life in the wilderness, uh, solo Asia, so navigating retirement landscape right now. So I would think of myself as semi-retired. I'm still busy adapting to that, but overall in a happy space. I've been in, in the wilderness area for a year and a half, nearly two years now, and loving it. 
yeah, that's me. Single, solo, ager, no children, sober. <laughs> awesome. Free as a bird. <laughs> yes. <laughs> so let's go back to those drinking days. I heard a little rumor that you and our Dr. Judy were <laughs> protagonists in crime together at university, um, walking, walking that long walk to get booze. Is that the story? Yes, yes. And we all thought it was worthwhile and it was all an outing. Uh, it's the ridiculous old laws that stated that within a certain radius from a female hostel at university, you may not sell alcohol. And us rebels walked. Yes, we all over the years, uh, very interesting, that university group of friends, how many of us actually ended up in trouble with alcohol? Mm, um, yeah. I guess the, the yeah. fact that you were prepared to do quite a long walk to, to get something that, proves that you really that, enjoyed it. It was uh, very much part of what how you saw socialising. So, yes, that's where it started. And then I married an alcoholic uh, who stopped drinking a year after we got married. And that catapulted me into uh, eight or nine years of the AA life. He was an Alcoholics Anonymous. I was an Al-Anon. And the two of us became Alateens sponsors, which I found extremely rewarding. I'm grateful for, the, for what I've learned in the 12-step programs there, but never, ever thinking that I would end up on the other side of this fence. So, any case, after that period of my life, got divorced and I went studying the post-degree business that I did, and I duly became class leader social. So, I was always the one that was the last at a function, still with a glass of whatever in hand. Um, that seemed to be a theme throughout my life. Uh, when I finished those studies, I then left corporate world and I had my own business, hotel with bars and a liquor store. And um, so my whole business became 80% selling liquor and socializing with people in a small town. I later had a restaurant, um, which also lies drinking, you know, <laughs> All us girls would have the glass of wine. The mummies would come there with their children for meetings to my restaurant. And it just was so normal. It was very, very normal. Through this time, I, I had a severely dis disabled child. In between working very hard, having this child, my only release for, for stress and tension, I thought at that stage, was having a glass of wine with the girls. Now that became the norm. Daily drinking was very much the norm. When my child died, she was age 10. And I remember she died at 4.30 that afternoon and I got smashed that evening. I just started drinking straight away, not dealing with, with what I had to deal with. And I then realized there's a problem. Shortly after that, October, November, December, January, four months later, I decided to stop drinking, stop smoking, get a grip on your life, which I did for a couple of months. And then I took a work a job opportunity, came up in Kabul, Afghanistan, which I took. 
And there I was with a hard-drinking, hard-working crowd of men. I did the finances. In between that crowd, we soon realized, okay, we're drinking too much. Uh, oh, <laughs> interesting, they only had whiskey and gobble, no wine. And I said, never in my life will I drink that well. I became a whiskey connoisseur over the years. I loved my whiskey. I could drink my whiskey with the guys and hold my drink to the best that any of one of them could do. I was really drinking fit. Then we realized there's a problem, and we changed that to only Thursday evenings. Friday is the day off, so we had a one-day-a-week drinking rule in the house. While I was there, the same employer asked me to go to Mogadishu in Somalia, and I was there for five years. That was a high-stress, high-energy Working environment, very masculine, very uh, few females, but every evening at the end of a hard, tough day, everybody would walk out with a bottle of whiskey to go sit under the trees and, <laughs> and decompress. There we started playing around with sober October, dry January. Some guys decided February was better than January. They only had to stop drinking for 28 days. And <laughs> So, so the dance, my dance with alcohol started then. What happened in the, this 10 years is I came home to South Africa. Well, I had a break four times a year. So three times a year, I would come to South Africa. And once a year, I would do a trip somewhere in the world. But all four holidays, in my, as if I wasn't in a hard drinking environment, it was holiday, you know. So wine farms for lunch, and uh, if you're in Portugal, wine for, for lunch, for dinner, for whenever. And it really hit me when, when I retired. In January of 2020, I resigned with the idea that I want to go travel the world. Now, everybody has got a story of life is busy happening to all of us, covid sought an end to my travel plans and I was sitting on my farm and I was drinking every day and I, I realized I'm in trouble but still coping whenever I spoke to anybody they would say oh you don't have a problem no you don't but in the meantime I know that I became um, a recluse I waited for five o'clock 10 to five and I would already get the ice out my grandfather had this thing, our whole family, five o'clock. It was okay. Then you had a drink. So I sort of get to that. But I would every day, five o'clock, have whiskey, start my cooking for the evening with whiskey or wine. And I ended up first one bottle of wine a day. And then later it ended up two bottles. Uh, it's interesting what you said there, Annika, about becoming a recluse, because I think that's what happens to some of us, doesn't it? Once, you know, the drinking really takes hold, we just want to be alone, you know, with our, with our yeah. drinks. And, and we find yeah. out, well, I used to, I know COVID is uh, a bit different, but I, I used to turn down mm. invitations, you know, thinking, oh, I'd rather be at home <laughs> and I can get on I, I with my wife. <laughs> I would do the same. And, yeah. and I had this very strict rule because when I had the hotel, I had this fear that my clients, I was selling liquor and I could see, I mean, there were some of the locals at your bar. You could see what alcohol was doing to people. And I had this dark thought that one of my clients 
might just drive into me or my staff as I take them home. You know, I had this real fear of drinking and driving. So I had this very hard rule. I would never, if I had one glass of wine, maybe I would negotiate driving. But if I had my second glass, I would not drive, which resulted in me drinking at home. Yeah. And inviting people over to my place. And I live on a secluded farm. So when people came over, they would stay over the night and we would just drink and party. So, yeah, it became, unfortunately, a very big part of my identity. I would never go to a cake and coffee invite. What (laughs) nonsense is that? You know? Exactly. My crowd, my tribe was the wine (laughs) drinking and we loved our wine. So, yes, it it unfortunately became part of who I was, and I realized I I have to stop. I I knew for a long time that my drinking inside, I knew it was not the same as other people's around me. I would be at functions, and I could see somebody have one glass of wine, and I think, how do they do that? I think Annie Grace talks about the pitcher plant. Yes, yes. And I so identified with that. It was was all fun and Mm. it is still, even in Mogadishu, we had wonderful evenings with people from all over the world and the French guys would, would invite me the one evening if they had a function or the Swedes when they had, you know, whatever, smoked mousse or whatever, somebody flew in. There was always a party, there was always music, and it was fun. But I was constantly reminded of that that song, Comfortably Numb. Yeah. It was just taking off the edge in the evenings and to relax and not to deal with your stuff. I think what, what brought it home to me was lockdowns. I started paying black market, didn't care what I was paying for my liquor as long as I had stock. And then one Friday, I went to buy wine and our dear president and the COVID command council decreed that no alcohol might will be sold from a Friday onward. And I remember standing in front of this liquor store and I was horrified. I had no wine in my house. There was a full weekend ahead of me. And and what am I going to do? So I spent that whole weekend. uh, Wilderness has, has got lovely restaurants, but I spent that whole weekend at different restaurants eating out because of the wine. So come that Tuesday or Wednesday, and I looked at my bank statement, I thought, good God, look what you have done. I've got a very, some of my very strong personal values of freedom. And I realized how hypocritical I was, that I would fight for freedom from the system and food and not eat GMOs and only organic. And yet I would put this poison by the liter full in my body every day. When I saw that bank statement and I realized, okay, you've eaten at this restaurant. I was clever. I had one bottle of wine at the restaurant with my meal, ordered the second one, slipped it in my bag and take it home. So that was my way of 
dealing with this ban on alcohol. And then I realized, I said, no, 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 I need help. I then went to visit a rehab center because I've tried so many times. I saw what was happening there and I was petrified. I thought, I cannot, cannot, cannot go there. And then I realized the main difference between, I'm not knocking 12 steps. It is working for so many people that I know. But the deciding factor for me was either you now have to decide, are you powerless over alcohol or do you have the power to stop this? I decided that, that I will stop this. And that's when I tried. That's when I joined Lynette, love her to bits, the tribe sober uh, coach. And I said, Lynette, I need help. Uh, I'm not that girl that I saw the place last week, but I do know that I need help and assistance. And our journey started. I must say I'm forever grateful for tribe sober. For, first of all, for Madeleine, if I may name her. She was one of my ex-Mogadishu friends that came to visit on my farm. And uh, she arrived with a bottle of alcohol-free wine. And I thought, what have you done to my friend? You know, <laughs> we were, <laughs> we had such good times. But we spent a, a good couple of days, or I can't remember even how long she was there because I was pissed and she was sober. But we talked about it. And, I re and then I realized when I looked into Tribe Sober, I was, what I saw was a group of well-functioning women, mostly, some guys, but it was at that stage mostly women who were coping with life, who were successful, who, who maintained good relationships overall, but we all had this one thing in common. And I identified with that because I, I could never see myself as a victim of alcohol and being powerless. I, I can't go there. I can't go there. So that is that is when I started the process. And then you people got involved in my day one attempts and day one attempts. You're listening to a podcast from Tribe Sober. If you'd like to join our warm and welcoming community, just head on over to tribesober.com and hit the membership tab. That's www.tribesober.com. Going back to what you were saying before, Annika, I think... Uh, with on this journey, you've just got to find your people, haven't you? You know, for some it's AA, yes. for some it's us, for some it's completely different. But you, once you can find and connect people that you can relate to, it, it makes so much more sense. And and I'm with you with the AA thing. You know, I've also been to AA, and I I can't be doing with this powerless thing <laughs> because I, I see couldn't. myself as very empowered and strong, and it just doesn't sit sit with me. That, that was a big theme in my process is, is to find my own power. And, and Lynette was, was really, oh, she was excellent in that. What I came to realize when, when I joined Tribe Sober, I had by myself often stopped drinking for between six and nine weeks. That was my thing. Six and nine weeks. And then I would, within one week. After starting drinking, I would be under the influence again. I had a few walking, talking blackouts where I would invite people over for dinner. And the next morning, I can't even remember that I served them. And they would look at me and say, oh, that was very nice last night. Thank you. And I would go, oh, really? I'm blank. There's nothing. Yeah. yeah. I used uh, to have I, those. I think they're absolutely terrifying. 
I know, I know. And then I had a friend, a very dear friend of years, that that uh, brought a parcel to me, something very valuable, and I mean very valuable, that I ordered. And he, I delivered it at his house, and he brought it to me. And I'm talking big value, monetary-wise item. And the next morning when he left, I said, you must just remember to give me this parcel. And he looked at me and he said, "Un," And I went, it. he gave it to me. I went to look where I normally hide my stuff and it was there. And I thought, you know what? I could have ruined the friendship. If we had gotten in the car already on our way home and I had said to him, where's this parcel? And, and that shook me. I've had two or three really bad uh, walking, talking blackouts. Uh, and then I knew, you yeah. know, these, when that happens, when I learned that that is actually not forgetting, but that the, the blood alcohol barrier is so fast that you can't form new memories. Yeah. I thought, God, what are you doing to yourself? And what state must your brain be? <laughs> To, to not be able to form new memories, you know. Um, so, yes. Uh, but then once I've decided that six to nine weeks sobriety cy- uh, cycle spiraled, it was whirling faster and faster and faster. And here towards the end, I would only not drink for three or four days. And then I would drink again for six or seven days. And then I would... Oh, it was it was a very hectic time in my life. That effort switch just kept on flicking on and off, on and off, on and off. And in the end, I think it was a process. It was a series of little rock bottoms. Thank God I didn't have a big, big rock bottom. But the most devastating was that I did not trust myself anymore. And I found that petrifying, you know, it, it is something that you don't trust your own mind, you don't trust your own will, you don't trust anything about yourself. Uh, and I felt quite lost at that stage. And then we started with uh, love yourself. Lynette had this saying, what would love do? And I would, in the beginning, think, oh, just get over it. And then I realized, what would love do? <laughs> and in the end... I think it was just a full-on process. The faster it went, and this is why I feel so with the people that I see struggling, that's why I need to stay connected, is to just be reminded of that period when you were, I call it the big fight with myself. Mm. If I had to write a book and give it a, a title, it would be the fight with myself. How long did that fight go on, you know, since you joined Tribe Sober and I know you were struggling for quite a long period. Was that about a year that you were fighting with yourself? I think it was a little under a year. Okay. I I, I was trying to think when uh, Malian came to visit me, but it was a bit under a year that this cycle of stopping and starting and stopping and starting. And and then I had a big, I had quite a few ahas along along the way. And that was that I was so critical of myself. I, I was on this pendulum of between numbing myself with alcohol, refusing to give myself any labels regarding alcohol in this through this whole process. 
fighting, I'm not powerless over alcohol. I have the power. And then I realized it's that old story of your internal and external locus of control. And once I started seeing that, what the hell? Alcohol is controlling me. I'm not controlling it. I started shifting. I was still quite clueless as to the why it, it had the hold on me. But in the meantime, I was drowning in this pathological, self-destructive cycle that was whirling. And it felt to me as if it was spinning out of control. And no one was harder on myself than me. And then I realized that was my out. The inner critic that that was criticizing every morning, I would wake up at three o'clock. I didn't even have to look. 3 a.m., I later learned it was an enzyme that your liver releases in the process of getting rid of all the alcohol that you gave between 12 and 3 at night, more or less. I woke up 3 o'clock, bing, every morning. And my first thought would be, bad, bad girl, you've been drinking again. And I would have this constant negative self-talk the whole time. And then I realized that was my way out because the longer I was talking negatively to myself, it was, okay, you've berated yourself now. Right, it's five o'clock. Let's drink again. It was an out. It was an excuse. <laughs> yeah, interesting. So, so, so it was Lynette that helped you to turn that around, you know, by saying things like, what would love do? <laughs> what would love do? I love that. And learn, yeah, it was, and learn not to fight it and just letting it go. Uh, And I I battled with that, letting it go for this whole period. And then it was really as easy as letting it go. In in preparing for our conversation this morning, I thought, now, what made the final penny drop? It was that I stopped talking negatively to myself. I, I started talking to myself as if I'm talking to my best friend who had yeah. a drinking problem. Yeah. And yeah. saying, it's okay. It's okay. You've got this, you know. Um, and even up until today, I every evening I listen to audiobooks. And the one that I keep on referring back to is Letting Go of David Hawkins, because it's the whole process of letting go and letting life happen, but not running away. I haven't finished my uh, goodbye to alcohol later. It's a work in progress. Every time I go back to it and I write about it, but I regard that as alcohol as a teacher, this whole stopping drinking journey. Yes, yes. well, I think it's a great way to, to look at it, actually, to reframe it, because uh, I don't know if you've heard Russell Brown. He's a English guy yes, in recovery yes. for, for decades. Yes. And he says that, you know, those of us that have been through this struggle in a way, you know, we're the lucky ones because we've been we forced, are. you know, to learn about ourselves and what, what we're really made of. And people that float through life, you know, just drinking very moderately, they don't do that deep work because, you know, they can't see the need. So yes, I think that's yeah. a brilliant way to think yeah. of alcohol as our teacher <laughs> rather than just yeah. hating, hating it and think, oh, I'm terrible because I can't stop drinking it. Yeah. Oh, and that- and I, in the process, I learned how to love myself. Yeah. I think if you, if you start saying you're doing this because you deserve this, you, you deserve, you love yourself enough, uh, I, I had to accept myself positive and negative. Yeah. Uh, 
Uh, and I also did quite a bit of inner child work. I, I, oh, I did a lot of work. <laughs> yeah, yeah. Still, still am. But, well, that's, uh, that's why you're, you're still sober. You're still doing the work. So how long have you been alcohol-free now, Annika? Middle February, it was one year. So what's it now? February, March, April, one year, going for one year and two months. Wonderful. And um, I know one shouldn't get arrogant, and I'm not when I say it, but I am fairly certain I will never, never fall back to where I was. I think there's so many benefits once you get to that stage, once you've done that first year, because um, that's when the true benefits of sobriety come in and they will kind of power you forward. You know, the motivation becomes intrinsic then rather than people saying, oh, you drink too much, you drink too much, or the inner voice. You just feel good and you have energy and you have creativity and you just don't want to go back to that, that dark place. And, you know, the sleep, oh, that was so glorious, you know, just to the, the the sleeping through the night and having good night's sleep. And I would think, how could I have been so daft? Because whatever we're thinking, the alcohol does not make you relax in the end. Once you've stuffed up your dopamine cycles and your receptors and everything that go with that, if you if you look into the biology of drinking, there's only plus side to this for me. I also had to realize that there's different parts of me that I had to incorporate. I call it the inner child work. And there's a, there's a nice saying that I heard about, yeah, they your children, it's the saboteur and the this and the that and the that. But you in the driving seat, they're the passengers. They strapped in and they're sitting at the back like school children in a bus quietly. You the bus driver. And I like that that image of okay, it's there. In the end, you become clearer, you become more free, more grounded, um, emotionally a lot more stable. My emotions, you know, that switch between the brain and the emotions. I, I don't know what that is all about, but I'm glad that I'm not in that cycle anymore. So there's only been positives for me. Fantastic. Yeah, on the emotion thing, I think once that we get comfortable with feeling uncomfortable, as Lynette always says, that's when, Mm. you know, we start developing emotionally, don't we? Because if we've been drinking for decades, it means that we've always been pushing away any uncomfortable feelings. But part of being human is to embrace those feelings, isn't it? And learn to deal with them. So um, Mm. there's there's so much in there. I'm so thrilled you've had so many advantages. And uh, Annika, I just wanted to say that we we really appreciate you and we love having you still in the tribe. And I wanted you maybe to say a few words about why, when someone has been sober for a year, why should they stick around the, the tribe? What benefits can there possibly be? You know what? First of all, it's to remind you, for me, very selfishly, it's, it's reminding me of that period and that struggle. Uh, I, I go and check in. I sometimes just lurk, but I'm still the, the Facebook group. I read everything. And it's a, it's a clear reminder of here I am because of I was there. And it's also, I think, the connection because it's a group of people that understand you. So I keep on doing the work in terms of never, ever get so blasé 
as I used to be in my six to nine week cycle, I would think I've got this six weeks or nine weeks in. Ah, I can have a glass of wine. Ooh. No, I can't. <laughs> Moderation is <laughs> it's no. not meant for me. It's just one of those things. What I find interesting about the whole tribe sober, uh, the, the tribe itself, is that I can identify with so many of the people there. And it's not the alcohol thing. It's the we're on the same journey and we see one another. We see one another. There's yeah. a lot of power in that. There's a lot of power. If I really stuff up tonight and I drink a whole bottle of whiskey, I know that there's a safe space for me. I can go tomorrow and I can say, guys, girls, I stuffed up and people will be there to help you and to pick you up. And it's a two-way street. You have to do that for other people. I had to adapt to retirement, which was a huge thing for me. I was working high-powered work, businesses, busy, busy, busy. And then this retirement thing happened. And I could see, it's like so many other old people or older people, Lots of people just drink their retirement away. Yeah, yeah. I think it's a real danger time, actually. I think you did it this. It is. You did this at a perfect time, Annika, because I, I worked with some, I was coaching an American lady and she was coming up to retirement and she was, uh, her husband drank heavily as well and he was coming up to retirement. And she said, I just know that my retirement is just going to vanish in a blur of alcohol and then I'll have some nasty deaths due to alcohol. Yeah. So, you know, we got her sober and I'm still in touch with her and they're traveling around the world now and having an absolute ball and they're both sober. So, you know, I say to people that are a bit older, like I am, you know, don't let these, <laughs> these golden years just evaporate because you've earned them, you know, do something amazing, yeah. get a project. Yes. And, and that, I think, just puts the focus on that when I realized, God, do you want to, do you want to be like this for the next 20 years? Is that what you lived for? You know, is this the end stage or the third age of your life and you want to be numbed out in the evenings, be a recluse, not go out and meet people? That was a, a big thing for me in this process of retirement to say, okay, what is happening to me? Because so much so that I then, in my first year of sobriety, I enrolled at the UCT and I wanted, I did a, a two short 12-week courses in coaching and I wanted to become a retirement coach. And then I realized, no, no. And after I enjoyed the studying, it was, I enjoyed the subject matter, everything. But in the end, I realized this is me time. And I've had a history and a life of caring for other people or doing for other people or neglecting myself. And in the end, I decided maybe I'll change my mind a year or two from now. But for now, first test retirement, sober retirement. Yeah. And see if you like it before you knock it. Because I was busy with business plans, uh, you know, oof, and studying and everything. No. Yeah, you, you've flow. got to to give yourself time for things to fall into place. I think, but uh, yeah, yeah, something like retirement coaching that that does sound amazing, and it's something that 
eventually you may feel ready just to, you know, have maybe one or two clients. It's not something you yeah. have to do 10 hours a day. And if you've yeah. studied and, and got the skills, I think but, personally, I think there's a massive need for that. And part of that could is. be helping people with their alcohol issues. Yeah. I call it the flex flow state. I'm there now where whatever, let's see where the world is going. Yeah. <laughs> let's see where our country is going. And in the meantime, stay present. I think that is the biggest gift that sobriety gave me. Absolutely. Absolutely. To be present. So I just wanted to revisit a couple of things you said there about community, about the recovery community and tribe sober community. First of all, I wanted to thank you and say how much we appreciate you kind of being there because people like you, you're such oh, an inspiration, you. you know, to new people. And I know that you don't mind me saying, which I do say to some people, <laughs> I hope you don't mind. I say, you know, we, we've had people that have really, really struggled, you know, for up to a year. I mean, look at Monica, you know, Monica and her 84 day yes. ones. And that gives people such hope because you know what it's like when you're there, you just feel that you failed again and you think, I'll never get the hang of this. But people do, you know, if they just will stay stay with the program and do the work. And you're obviously yes. still doing that work now, which is why, you know, you're going to be, be fine. And yeah, I just, you know, agree with you so much about how we, we kind of understand each other. And, and for me, you know, the work that I do and the podcasting as well, you know, I just love it the way that I can meet somebody, not not in our tribe particularly, but someone on the other side of the world that is in the recovery community. And within five uh -huh. minutes, we're like best buddies. You know, we just understand each other. And that that's such a comfort. You know, you don't have to go mm -hmm. through the small talk or the status nonsense. You know, <laughs> you can just get straight to it. And, and yeah. I love that. So, yeah. yeah. So thank you. I've got a last question for you. And then, you know, I'll ask you if you've got anything uh, to add. But I wanted to ask you, Annika, if there's someone out there that is like you were a couple of years ago, like I was, you know, drowning in the bloody stuff and not knowing what to do, you know, how do you start? Because I think that's the most difficult thing. I always say to people, you know, the hardest part of this is A, accepting that you've got a problem and B, reaching out for help. So yes. um, how, how can someone do that? Any advice? I just think it is that old saying of the journey starts with the first step and whatever you do, don't stop trying. Don't give yeah. up hope because there's enough of us around there that has seen this thing through. And if you keep on trying, you will get there, but it's a process. Thanks so much for that great advice, Annika. Let's finish our conversation with one last sobriety benefit from you, please. So yes, I've discovered that I'm a lot freer since I've stopped the alcohol. Yeah, I'm, yeah, I'm not I, I love that myself the whole time. Yeah, that that word free, you know, for me it sums it up. I wrote a blog a while ago called Seven Ways Sobriety Sets You Free." You know, and it it really yes. does. It's it's like yes. a prison when you when you're dependent on alcohol. And 20% of social drinkers do become dependent. So that there's an awful lot of us out there. So, um, you know, you. And, and then I think gratitude, you know, yeah. just for the team, for the fact that, that, that you can, I'm really every single day, I'm grateful. 
I feel free. I, I wake up snappy in the morning. It's not that foggy, fuzzy uh, waking up in the morning and thinking, oh, God, what happened last night? What did I say? Yeah. Uh, did people realize? Blah, 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 blah. So, no, it's it's overall. And thanks to Tribe Sober. I mean, I can, I can honestly say you've... You've hit for me a nerve in the right niche. There's a lot of different ways, I think, to get to sobriety, but I like the tribe sober way. Thank you so much, Annika, for sharing your story and for staying on as a tribe member to help other people. Let's pull out some key points. Annika married an alcoholic. He stopped drinking via AA and Annika went along to Al-Anon, so she was well aware of the 12 steps, and she even became a sponsor. She never imagined that she would become an alcoholic herself, which shows that we can never become complacent. Annika had a high-flying corporate career, but she also owned a restaurant, which fast became the heart of her social life. Apart from her hectic career, Annika was bringing up her severely disabled daughter, and she turned to alcohol to cope with the stress, the stress of managing her career and looking after her child. Tragically, her daughter died at the age of 10, and Annika turned to drink to try to numb the pain. She took a job in Afghanistan, where she worked with a bunch of hard-drinking male colleagues. Only whiskey was available in that country, so that's where she learned to love her whiskey. She moved on from Afghanistan to Somalia, where she stayed for five years. Another high-stress job where sitting under the trees drinking whiskey with her colleagues was the after-work activity. Annika returned to South Africa, planning to retire and then travel the world. However, COVID put paid to that idea, which meant that she had to live on her farm, which was fairly isolated. While she was there, she managed to keep to her father's rule of no booze before 5pm, but at 5 o'clock it was a whiskey followed by two bottles of wine. We talked about how we get to the stage where we actually prefer drinking alone than being with other people, which is a real warning sign of dependence, because it means we're creating a relationship with alcohol and it's fast becoming our best friend. Annika felt that drinking had become part of her identity. That happens to many of us, and that's why our friends are so horrified when we say we're going to quit drinking. Like me, Annika suffered from walking, talking blackouts. And like me, she was horrified to learn that those kind of blackouts mean that the brain becomes so soaked in alcohol, it cannot even make memories. It's not just that we've forgotten stuff. But it was lockdown and South Africa's alcohol ban that made Annika realize the severity of her problem. She found herself searching for liquor on the black market and didn't really care how much she paid for it. She would go out to a restaurant, drink a bottle of wine alone and then purchase another bottle to bring home. She knew she was in trouble and she went to look at a rehab but the 12 steps just didn't appeal to her as she definitely didn't feel powerless over alcohol. And that's what step one's all about. At Tribe Sober, we believe in putting down our glass and taking back our power. So at Tribe Sober, Annika found her people and an approach that worked for her. 
Tribe Sober coach Lynette helped her to find her power and to learn to be kind to herself. She's worked on her inner child, or inner children perhaps we should say. Anna still has the saboteur and the inner critic, but she now visualizes them as children sitting in a bus. But these days Annika's in the driving seat and just tells them to be quiet. I love that analogy. These days she's thoroughly enjoying her retirement and she's so relieved that she made a conscious decision to quit so that she doesn't risk drinking her retirement away like so many people do. If you're a bit older and worried about your drinking, have a listen to my interview with British psychiatrist Dr. Tony, Tribe Sober Podcast, Episode 35. Annika is now in her second year of sobriety, so I asked her why she stuck around with the tribe. She came up with three reasons. First of all, she gets a daily reminder of just how hard it used to be when she sees new members starting out. She loves the connection with a group of people who understand her straight away. It keeps her grounded and reminds her never to think that she may be able to moderate. So thanks for the share and the inspiration, Annika. We love having you in our tribe. So let me finish with a message from one of our chat rooms. This message is from Miss Molly from Mexico. Molly sent this after our workshop last Saturday. I love today's workshop, although starting at 6.30am here in Mexico wasn't ideal. I'm excited about the Dry July Challenge. Thanks to all of you at the workshop. I shed a few tears. Alcohol is poison and I hate the hold that it has over me. I need this connection because I tend to isolate and drink alone. So thanks in advance for your support. So well done, Molly. We're so impressed with your 6.30am starting Mexico, but we must also do a shout out to Kate in Seattle. She got up at 4.30am to join our workshop. Well done, ladies. With that kind of commitment, we know you're going to be able to kick the booze. These tricky time zones are one of the reasons that we're busy creating our online course, Kickstart Your Sober Life so that people can go through the content in their own pace, yet still have interaction with the community and the Tribe Sober team. So watch this space. We'll be releasing the course at a very special price for members, so it's a great time to join the Tribe. And don't forget, our Dry July Challenge started yesterday, but we're keeping the doors open until midnight on the 2nd of July. That's when this podcast comes out. So if you want to join our other challengers who are already settling in and getting excited about the journey ahead, then just hit tribesober.com Dry July. Alternatively, Dry July is absolutely free for tribe members. So this is a perfect time to go to tribesober.com and hit join our tribe. And in the meantime, you can join our private Facebook group. And this week's giveaway is our PDF, Seven Ways to Make Your Sobriety Stick. If you'd like a copy, just write to Janet at tribesober.com and I'll send it to you right away. Don't forget to follow us and share the podcast and I'll be back next week. Ditching the drink is like climbing a mountain. It's hard, it takes courage and grit and an experienced guide. And that's where we come in. 
Here at Tribe Sober, we've climbed that mountain and we know the view from the top is amazing. We've used our experience to put together a unique membership program that will support you all the way. We've got challenges, chat rooms, sober buddies, trackers, and milestone awards, and that's just for starters. So head on over to tribesober.com and check out our membership program. It's the essential resource for anyone looking to ditch the drink and change their life.